The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. Yeah, it was no, 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 no. We it first wasn't. got started. It was single family. It was small, single family and small multi. Just renting right? a house out to a family. Renting right? my single family home out to my two buddies. Yeah, well, that um, obviously you're living there too. But I'm saying, what was the first property that you bought that was just rented out? It was a house. A duplex. We bought it. Liz and I bought a duplex, and this is so back that's in the day, top Mitch. and bottom. Yeah, yeah. Well, just just two units, two units on one tax parcel. Got it. Um, in Chicago, Chicago is the one place in the world they call it a two flat. You know? Oh, really? Um, yeah, right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's uh, and some people call it. Yeah, but yeah, anyway, it's two units under one tie under under okay. one piece they of two land, renters. Right? Yeah, two tenants. So we bought that. Okay. This is back in the day where you could lay ninety five to one hundred percent down in an equity when you buy it. In, in uh, or you let you lay five percent down, excuse me, or no money down, whatever. Yeah. Um, first and second mortgages and stuff like that. So, um, we laid 5% down and bought a duplex that non-owner occupied. Um, and that, and that was our first classroom, man. I mean, we immediately had to evict both tenants cause they immediately saw a new sheriff in town. Let's just stop really? paying our rent. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and it, it was, uh, it was a mess. Yeah. So but you learned a lot. Yeah, I did. I did. It got my teeth kicked in, learned a lot, you know, um, and uh and and then fast Make forward you think to twice life. about like should i keep doing this did you ever consider that or no never you know i it's funny mitch i, I never had that thought never i mean never really truly thought about like maybe this isn't for me i don't know why the information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only it is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind you should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions the dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. What's everybody? My name is Matt Faircloth and I am with the DeRosa Group and I am a real estate entrepreneur. We provide passive investments to those looking to invest in all kinds of cool stuff like apartment buildings and diversified income ventures. I am super excited to be here on the Accidental Entrepreneur Show, man. Let's do this. All right, Matt, I know it took us a little while to connect. Uh, we had met through Eric Cabral. I thank him very much. It was great to spend the day with you down in Trenton at uh, On Air Brand Studio. You're right next to him, right? In an office I right am. next to him? Are you there? Is he there today? I don't know. I'm not there now. Oh, uh, you're not there now. Okay. <laughs> I, he and I occupy, we're neighbors in an office building uh, in, in that we're right. We're like, you know, literally spitting distance from each other. Right. That you and your um, partners own, right? Don't you? Own that building? Yeah, I own that building. My just my wife and I own that building. He's my oh, partner, okay. right? Yeah, so my wife counts. and I own that building for now. Uh, we're going to be selling it soon, but my wife and I do own that property. Um, okay, good. And, uh, and and that, but we've really taken our focus in real estate away from owning um, office buildings, and we're more focused on multifamily now. So okay, good. Makes well, sense we'll talk to, about why you're making that transition and stuff. But I told you sure. before, maybe we go back to you know, where you grew up, what your education was, yeah, man. background, you know, why you got into real estate and how you got into that type of thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, no problem. Thank you. Uh, so I'm uh, 46 years old. I okay. uh, grew up born in 75, uh, okay. and so I got I grew you by up 10 Bal- years. By the way, that's all good. That's all good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, you know, yeah. just just did the whole thing in Baltimore. Baltimore Camden has an interesting. Was that Camden, Camden Yards? Yards. Yeah. But I went going. To, I grew up going to Memorial Stadium. Yeah, there was no that. Camden Yard when we were. Was a, yeah, I remember when they built Camden Yards. But yeah. When I was a kid, we went to Memorial Stadium, which was like in the middle of just in the middle of. The yeah, city. It wasn't in the Inner Harbor like it is no, now. No. Right? Yeah. No. No. That That's was a great place, cities, by the way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, before cities realized, hey, we should put these ballparks where people want to go. You know, right. instead of where there's cheap land. You know, like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, that, that's, I grew up, you know, following the Orioles and everything like that too. And, and again, Memorial, Memorial stadium where I grew up is where the Colts and the Orioles played, you know, they Got both it. played the same box. So well, the just, M&T bank stadium is a different stadium. The football stadium, course. that's a whole nother stadium. Oh yeah. With that, but again, that's right there by that's, yeah. that. They like share parking with Camden yards. Oh, they're right um, there next to each other. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that's, you know, urban development's changed a lot. Um, over the years, right? So you can tell these ballparks that were built in the last 15 years because they put them in areas where like, you know, those two ballparks, or you could walk out the door yeah. and be downtown in the Inner Harbor. Yeah, so people um, want to stay and shop and spend money. I mean, you know, it makes Hang out. You got a hotel, yeah, you got this, you got that. They can, get into, they can get into your pocket three ways from Tuesday, you know, when you go to that ball that ballpark. And there's a light rail stop that's right in front of them and everything like that. But you know, back in the day, we look at other cities that are that have older stadiums. The stadiums are kind of like, well, this area used to be hip 50 years ago, you know, like regularly. Oh, yeah, field, the stadiums in ball. New York, you don't want to be there at night. Get the hell out of there. Even now, no, man. The new stadiums. It's yeah, yeah, not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 again, but Baltimore used to have a stadium in the center of the city in a, in a rough neighborhood. Um, you know, but, and, and like I said before, it's probably because they thought that would rejuvenate that neighborhood yeah. by building a ballpark there and, and that, but again, what people did was they, but then they surround the ballpark. But the inner Harbor the wasn't what it is now, right? No, it no, it was a bad place. No, right? yeah. no, no. When I, when I grew up, the inner Harbor was a, was a mess. I mean, and my dad was in construction back then and uh, his company was one of the blood. first ones to get contracted to start doing some of the buildings. His company built the Harbor Plaza. Oh, so he um, did some of that stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. But he, oh. well, he wasn't, again, he was uh, like a draftsman for a steel company. So don't get me wrong. I'm not like third generation real estate guy or whatever. Right. My dad was a draftsman for a steel construction company. Okay. Um, and so he- Which is basically like an in-house architect. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. So they could they they could do the drawings themselves, and so he would draw out bridges and buildings and and that cool stuff and everything like that. So his company that he worked for did a lot of the uh, a lot of the redevelopment of the downtown, contracted by developers, and a lot of money came from yeah. the city and stuff like that. I remember Donald Schaefer, the mayor of uh, of Baltimore, huh? like as a promo for Baltimore, swam in the Inner Harbor. Like he put really? put on the whole swimsuit, like the full like this was back in the day, and he was an older dude back then. Yeah. So he put on the one piece men's. Remember, like the one piece men's swimsuit yeah, they would wear with like anyway the, going into with the, like the shorts built. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. He probably did it because you know, you know his. <laughs> worried about getting right exactly toxic waste on him or I mean, whatever, you wouldn't do but... that in the hudson river that's for sure <laughs> no right yeah no they had they had a, they have a race like you know it's an iron man or whatever and i think it was two just before covid when they did it they canceled the the swim part of it because of the water readings like they did it they have to do a test and if it's too toxic yeah. no swimming and they couldn't swim that, did that. i had a buddy remember? that did that race yeah. you're talking in about the, and he said while hudson. he was doing it it was disgusting so you would disgusting. swim in the Hudson, yeah. and there would be just dead fish Ugh. floating past you and stuff like that while you were on your... do that. Oh, <laughs> plenty of places Ugh. to swim in the world. I don't know. Where yeah, I know. I know. So Donald podcast. Schaefer did that, and that was uh-huh. like a promo to promote downtown Baltimore. So I grew up there, um, and I was one of these. Uh, Baltimore has an interesting school system that every area should have, and it's this whole it's this wacky thing called choice. You know about where do you where you want to send your kids. Um, to school. So it's not like a charter program. It's like or a whatever. voucher program, right? Or something like that you'd get. And it was, it was a, it's called a magnet program. Magnet, so right. We have magnet you, schools up by us too, but it's not, it's, it's like a, an, uh, like a, it, it's the magnet schools up here are almost like a high school that you have to apply to and get in. 
Each county yeah, yeah. sends a certain amount of kids. You sit up here. Different. Are you in Jersey or in Jersey? Yeah. Okay. Up so North the, Jersey. Yeah. The Baltimore school system was run uh, on on by county. Baltimore as a Maryland as a, as a state is run yeah. by county. There's nothing below the county. And New Jersey oh. can't seem to get its head around that. Where like you, you know like Baltimore City is its own county. You know, then there's Baltimore County that sits around that. And there are there is Towson, there is Bel Air, those little regions of Baltimore City. But the like almost all the governance comes from the county. Right. Still today. Still today. My daughter goes to University of Maryland College Park. So College Park's not really a city. They get all their resources from the county. Yes. That would solve a lot of problems in New Jersey. It'd piss a lot of people. It would. Because you know, there's all this overhead and fiefdoms and stuff like that. You don't need a superintendent for every freaking little school system in the entire state. It's stupid. With every, right, with each superintendent making 250 grand a year. Right. Right. It's a lot Um, of money. You'd say, yeah. And every, and you've got, you know, mayors and town councils and administrative assistants and stuff like that. Right. All these staff and people that have to run each of these little fiefdoms. So when I moved to New Jersey, I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like, why do you need all this? So yeah. Maryland, Maryland is a county run state, right? So um, they also run the schools by county as well. So uh, you could you could go to your district school that you wanted to go to. And I'll get to why that was a bad thing as well. Right. But like, if your kid uh, was smart enough and could place in, they could go to a magnet school. And well, this is only for high school. They've since yeah, to expanded get in. this program. Yeah, to apply. Right. They've Just since like expanded to middle school too. So now my nephew who grew, grew up in Baltimore, he now went to a magnet middle school and his mom, God bless her, drove him a half an hour one way each day to school, you know, but yeah. that's because he got to go to like, you know, school for smart kids. Right. God bless. And it's, they're, they're like special academies like they have up here. They have one for health and sciences, one for performing ding, arts. Ding, ding. One, Yeah. So my sister went for one for liberal arts. Right. That's where she went. I went to one uh, for math and science, for engineering and math and science. Um, there was one, there was an all, there was a public all girls school, right? Right across the street from where I went to school. Um, there was a school called Baltimore school for the arts, right? Okay. Um, from that school, uh, a bunch of people you've heard of have graduated that are famous singers and artists and stuff like that from Baltimore school for the arts, a public art school, right? Singing, painting, you know, uh, acting, all those things, Right. Um, I think Jay-Z and Jada Pinkett Smith went there, but you have to get it. You got it. Not only do you have to test in, you have to audition to go to yeah, high right. The same, the performing arts up here, you have to audition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Sure. But then they, they had a Votech school, okay. right? Right. We got so that, you want to so. go Votech? Yeah. More kids should be doing Votech. Uh, that's what I say. Like the, all the vocations college. are dying. Plumbers, so electricians, another- they're all going to be gone. You and I could go there. And that's why you a can't lot get of a money. contractor. It's a lot of money and to that's, be made. If you like working with your hands, you can make to have a every good contractor I know that owns a guy that every every guy that I know that owns like a reasonable size like plumbing, HVAC, framing company, whatever, does very, very well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, there's a ton of money in the trades. And it's just not broadcast that the trades are a place that people should go because it's not right. sexy. They could be working in the trades. No, they think but, a vocational school is like the the Project 79 kids, they sent them over there and they're troubled. Oh, kids. you can't do anything else. Right. So let's just teach you how to work with your hands. You right. know, it's not like, the case. well, a lot of money working with your hands. So there was all those things. And I went to the engineering school because people are like, oh, you're good at math and science. So okay. you should be an engineer. Right. So yeah. I did. And I loved it because it was yeah. two math classes a day, two science classes a day. I was taking thermodynamics in high school. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, but the problem was, is that the uh, nobody, nobody really opened up what possibilities there were for kids that were good at math and science aside from engineering. So I went to an engineering college thinking that that's what I wanted to do, not realizing I really didn't like it, you know, but I got a degree in engineering. Okay. Um, it's a good background. smart enough. Yeah, I figured yeah. it out. I was, I went to Virginia tech, you know, sure. got my degree in engineering, but yeah. Um, Maryland just played them in the pinstripe ball. Didn't do too well for Beat Virginia tech. Nope. I know. Beat the crap out of them. We did. Well, well, Maryland had a lot of catching up to do from all the beat down that Virginia Tech had given them, which I'd been right. to a few games from Maryland yeah. and Virginia Tech. I didn't know Virginia, it was going to be a beat down. I thought we'd lose, but Virginia Tech's on the limp, man. I yeah, mean, right they, they've been not a great football team for years. Ever since the, ever since Beamer retired, and they just did not get a good replacement for him with this Justin Fuente guy that replaced him. That's they've nice. not been. They, they've not been the program. They're almost they in Tennessee, right? They're down close to. 
Isn't there a school down close there to are. Tennessee, right? Yeah, way out. They're all the way. Virginia is yeah. a big ass state. Yeah, it goes. So they are across. all the way down in western, southwestern Virginia, like almost to North Carolina, like on the kind of where Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia come together. They're right there. Uh, it's south of Roanoke. Have you ever heard of Roanoke? They're down yeah, there. Sure. So, um, yeah, so that's where Virginia Tech is. I had a ball, you know, uh, party my ass off and, you know, and all that. Um, developed a lot of great social skills, which I still use today and everything like that. Um, but I, you know, got my degree in engineering, but didn't really want it. What engineering wasn't in my heart. And so I found a job when I graduated from Virginia tech into in sales, um, that allowed me to sell to people, to engineers. And so I got, I loved it. I got it. It was a good sales job that I had. Good experience. Um, it was as good of a job as I could get you know, uh, with that degree, it's still a job, but I didn't like it too much. Cause I was in like dirty factories every day and were you um, selling? industrial machinery, air compressors. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. got to go in the factories, right? I mean, that's yeah. You go. Big loud objects. Compressed air is the fourth utility in manufacturing. You know, it it's, they're using water, natural gas and electricity to build stuff and then compressed compressors air. all over the place. Yeah. Oh, it's so it, it's such a common and such a versatile utility to use in making stuff. That's right. the only cool thing about it. Uh, uh, Mitch is that I got to see how a lot of cool things are made. I'll tell you a cool story. You know how canned soups made? Canned soup, canned soup, right? Uh, they right? put the soup in the can and they seal it up. I don't know. Right, right. Here's what they do. Right, they put the raw stuff in the can. Right. Okay. The raw vegetables, the raw meat, the raw the everything, water or whatever. The water, the whatever it is that they're going to okay. cook, they put it in the can. You would think that there's this big enormous cauldron yeah. of soup, right? Yeah. You that fill just, it up. That, that like grandma's stirring up this yeah. like. 300 gallons of soup for all the cans. Right. No, they don't do that. They take all the raw veg and raw meat and raw everything, put it in the can, and then they cook it in the can. Really? Right. Yes. Two things. It eliminates all the germs, you know, and all, okay. the, and all the potential stuff. Contamination. Getting yeah. Into the can. All the contaminant. No bacteria is living through that cooking process because they cook the crap out of it. They're like, you know, four or 500 degrees in the can, yeah. right? It also seals the can as well when they do that. And they can also control the amount of um, like the volume and everything like that that goes into it. Additionally, can you imagine the process of taking like 300 degree soup and pouring it into little cans with humans? It have to be a machine, right? That the can would go under, fill it up. And that's, yeah. how, that's how I imagined it. So what they did was they took, they take cold Funny. soup yeah. and put it in these enormous steamers. Right. And they fill it up full of steam, let it steam. Cause again, steam is another product that you can produce pretty easily in a factory. So they'd steam them and then they'd vent the whole thing out with compressed air. Dude, whoosh. Take and clean then it, it out. And then and they label it. Got, it right. And then you've got a ready to eat little can of thing that think about it. When you get a can of soup, it's already cooked, right? Yeah. You Same thing for a can of tuna, right? Can, can of tuna, they put raw, they're going to put the raw tuna in there. Then they're going to cook it, you know, because tuna, when tuna fish and you get a can yeah, of tuna it's fish, cooked, it's just not, it's, it's just plain, right? That's right. It's, it's a, that, that, right. It's already cooked. And it's, it's not because they roasted this enormous tuna and then carved them up just right. You know, they, they just took a chunk of raw fish and threw it in the can, sealed it and then cooked it, you know? Well, that, that blew my mind. It looks like it's a piece of tuna as opposed to. Yes. So I got to see all kinds of cool stuff like that. That's the one blessing that I got from that industry on the manufacturing from being side, in like compressed air is I got to see, stuff. you name it. I got yeah. to see it made cool trash bags, shaving cream cans, you know, like pens and pencils, whack, dog food. That's disgusting. Don't ever go to a dog food plant. I know. I don't even want to know. And we you buy pretty good dog food know. for our dogs. Like, you know, when I was you young, we used know. to give our dog Alpo. And uh, now we give them out of Merrick or something, but it can't be. I don't even want to know. I've been into an alpha plant. You don't want to do it. You don't want to. You know what's in that food. You don't want to know. Now, you know, one of my favorite shows is that show (laughs) called How They Made This. How's that made or something like that? And they show here's this piece of metal. And at the end, it's a washing machine or whatever. They show the whole process. I think that's That's very cool. Yeah, the, those shows are cool. Food production. What, what, if you don't if you don't want to eat a food ever again, just walk into whatever plant they make it in, and you'll never right. want to eat it, including vegetables. Yeah. Like I've been into a, a vegetable plant, and you're like, 
So you're just going to pick that up off the ground and throw it right back on the conveyor belt, huh? You know, like, right. Well, they, they, you know, yeah, there's, there's some videos out there about like food production and the animal side of it. And you you don't want to eat animals after that. No, not just that, but I've been into things that you, that you're supposed to eat like veggies and that kind of thing. I've seen how that's made and you're like, oh, wow. Well, like that's, 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 that's how that's it's done. Clean. Just, you know what it is, right? It's not clean and, and that, but like the, the, the mass production of things just causes, it, it takes the humanization out of it a little bit when you see like, oh, I need to make, you know, 3000, like 3000 tons a year of right. broccoli. And so this is how we're going to have to do that to industrialize this food. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. You can't have so, people on the line cutting the broccoli by hand. Oh yeah, can, but it's expensive and oh yeah. Hard. yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So machineries, but we're yeah, getting yeah. off anyway, the track. So that, so that you was are my in life. Baltimore. You graduated as an engineer. Yeah, went into sales, and then you're like, I can't do this for the rest of my life, right? Well, I um, so let's see how they had this go down. Okay, I lived in North Carolina. Um, I'll go personal on you a little bit further, Mitch. My I am adopted. And my parents had told me since I was a little baby that I was adopted. And they're like, I don't, I don't remember them telling me. I remember being told, like, I I remember knowing this my entire life and, and that, and, and it was just, it wasn't like a thing and that. So it it was just a part of me. It wasn't something that I felt embarrassed about or, or that, that dealt with a lot of the healing and rejection issues that some of my, I have other friends that were adopted and were told later in life, 16 years old, they find out they're adopted. Oh yeah. I had one cousin that was 14 years old. Parents told him he was adopted at 14 years old and he, you know, didn't, has not recovered from that yet. So, um, but anyway, uh, the, um, bottom line of it is I was always cool with it. And so when I turned 18, I began the journey of finding my birth mother and my birth father. So my birth okay. father, they found him. He denied contact and that. So okay. good enough. Um, you know, I, he had gone off and made his own family and, you know, and, and he kind of had this BS That's thing. That's his that choice, could, right? You- yeah. He couldn't confirm nor, nor deny that he was my father or whatever. So they found my birth mother okay. uh, and she accepted contact. And so back and forth, letters and letters, and then eventually a phone call. I lived in North Carolina. She uh, lived in New Jersey. Okay. Okay. And so the company I was with, I was working for Ingersoll Rand. Uh, They had an office open in Philly. Um, And so I was like, oh man, I would love to be closer to my birth mother who lives in South Jersey. So I took the transfer to Philly. My parents uh, lived in Baltimore still. They still lived in Baltimore. And so that brought me closer than the eight hours it was from North Carolina uh, and, and closer to her, to my birth mother. This is when, when, so I got to be closer to, you know, somebody I wanted to know for it. Yeah. Somebody I wanted to know more and also my, my, my family. Right. Right. So moved up there, uh, got to know Philly, you know, Philly's a funky town, man. I mean, it's one of those towns where a lot of towns are transient towns, you know, where like you move to go to Charlotte and everybody's not from there, you know, um, right. Transplants is Philly. Everybody's from South Florida. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Right. South Florida. Yeah. South Florida. A lot of you transient cities like Texas, whatever, that have enormous population growth. When you meet people, let's say, oh, I'm from Oklahoma, whatever. Everybody's out to try and meet people, whatever. Philly's funky, man. Like in Philly, everybody's like, oh, I went to school here. But everybody still hangs out with people they went to high school with in Philly and stuff like that. So it was a little harder to meet people moving to Philly, but I kind of made my way. And I you're not going to tell me you're an Eagles fan now, are you? I was, I just couldn't stand it anymore. Okay, good. Yeah. The, the converted fan, the back. Eagles fans will talk you out of being an Eagles. You'd be a Ravens fan, but don't be an Eagles fan. Yeah. I followed, Virginia, I got into Virginia Tech football. I was it. Yeah. And, and I, I still I follow like them football. loosely yeah. and stuff like that. But I, I root for myself, man. I don't really root for sports. I just <laughs> like, I, I've learned over, I've, oh. after being my heart broke, after I've watched get my heart broke by the Eagles and by the Virginia Tech Hokies. The hey, listen, times. I'm a Giants fan. It's painful these days. So I bet. But I, but you probably learned what I did, I would think, over time in that, like, there are things in life I can control and there's things in life right. that I can't. Yeah. Right? yeah. Why am I going to put emotion behind things I can't control? Like I right. don't, I can't control whether the freaking Eagles are going to win the game or not. You know, oh, you know, some of these guys, Jets, Eagles, Giants, it's their life, and they get disappointed every week. I know. You know, I right. agree. With you. I'm just joking. I yeah, can't I deal with that. I didn't want that. I get. I got right. too emotionally invested in the games and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah. man, I, I don't need this. Any. I remember tossing and turning one night after Virginia Tech won, like one of those. Thursday night, like kickoff classic football yeah. games. Yep. And it was a big game and it was a nail biter down to the wire and they lost. And I remember couldn't, I couldn't sleep the next night. 
you know, yeah. that night, that night I went right. to bed and I couldn't sleep because I was losing sleep over the Virginia Tech Hokies winning. They're losing. And I had breakfast that morning with, you know, I was sitting down and having breakfast. And I'm like, you know what? What am I doing? Right. Like, why do I? I never feel that invested. My wife's a Florida State Why do I State care fan. about this? She Florida State. She won't sleep for a week when they lose. Yeah, I, I'm I'm done with that. So I, yeah. I just because I'm an emotional creature, this is who I am. Yeah. I just get invested in things and that. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to just care about things that I can that, that I, that it, may, it matters that matter, to matter. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, moved to Philadelphia, um, made my network there a bit, but, um, but still, I had to with, go, I had still to, with the engineering company. Yeah. So with the engineering company, okay. uh, buddy, a buddy of mine from college from Virginia tech, his sister lived in Philly. Um, okay. and he, uh, made, I made friends with his sister and we decided we'd do a flag football team at one through one of the bars, uh, back in many where I used to live. So like, all right, let's do a flag football team. And she invites her uh, buddy that she knew from growing up, uh, which was my wife. So nice. uh, that's how I met my wife. And happens. my wife and I started dating from meeting each other playing flag football, right? And she put Rich Dad Poor Dad in my hand. And uh, I was this uh, traveling engineer that, you know, was making a a good living, you know, flirting with, and this is like in 2001, 2002, okay. flirting with six figures at like 26 years old. So living a good, good, good life, right? Yeah. Good enough. And Paying companies pay you enough to get by, right? They pay yeah. you enough to where you, Something left they pay you just enough to where you won't quit, right? right. Exactly. <laughs> where you can't quit. <laughs> yeah. I was making just enough to where I, I, I wouldn't quit. And then sometimes they pay you so much where you can't quit, you right. know, where it's like golden handcuff, right? Yeah. So, um, I wasn't there yet, but I was in, I was like expendable enough to like, Oh, if you want to quit, you can, but I'm like, I'm not going to quit for the amount of, you know? Right. So, uh, but I know I wanted a bigger life. I knew there was more in me than, uh, than this. So, um, I read rich dad, poor dad, loved it, blew my mind. Um, she invited me up to her brother-in-law's place up in Easton to play cash flow, uh, Kiyosaki's sure. board game. I played cash flow before. Yeah. Played that. That blew my mind too. And yeah. I'm like, this is, this is what I, we I need just, to do. Yeah. It got me tied into like the possibility of living life to build assets and to um and, and to really what money was all about, like how money right. works, you know, and uh and, and just that whole thing versus like just trading hours for dollars. And I realized I was trading hours for dollars for a good for a good trade, you know. I was I was getting a good deal on trading hours for dollars, but um still doing so. And um I just realized I wanted something more. And so when I was with Ingersoll, ran at a big commission come in because I sold a bunch of compressed air to Minute Maid Orange Juice um, in uh, in New Jersey. So we had that sale happen and the commission was big enough for me back then that I was like, man, this is a lot of money. I'm just going to sit on this. So I put it in my savings account, not knowing what to do with it. Right. But Rich Dad Poor Dad and fast forward to my landlord, Maniac had told me, hey, man, listen, you need to move. Um, because we're selling this house and I, I was like, I didn't want to buy that. I didn't want to buy that house that I was renting. So I talked to the realtor that was selling that house for my landlord. And I said, I want to buy a house because I read rich dad, poor dad. And I want to be, you know, I want to buy a property and have people rent it out with me. So I bought a three bedroom, two bath for 150 K. My mortgage was 940 a month. And my two knucklehead drinking buddies from my house in Maniunk moved in with me to my new house. Yeah. And they they paid me rent to to live in my new house, but the rent they were paying me was total of a thousand a month. So my my more my mortgage was nine forty. They're paying me a thousand, and so now I'm making me you know pretty good almost six figure salary with Ingersoll Rand while I have no living expenses. So sense yeah, pay off all my student loans, pay off all my credit cards. I'm like this is cool. So got myself out of my bad debt. I'm 27 years old, bad debt free. Um, and I was hooked and yeah. that, and so that's how, that's the beginning of how I turned my head to real estate. And then there's a long journey of how my wife and I, um, we're still dating, but we sort we bought rental properties around Philadelphia while we were dating and then eventually got married. And then she quit, I quit my job and we lived off of her income and all that while I built my company. You're both in real estate, right? We are now. Yeah. 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 She, we, we left off her income. It was a lot longer journey than we thought. We figured we'd live off her income for like a year or two while I built a business and the business would eventually just spin off all this money to where she could quit. But she ended up quitting her job in 2013. So eight years after we got married, um, I, she was able to quit uh, when we had our first kid. 
And then we lived off the business from there. Yeah, no, I think I'm not saying you shouldn't have your goals to do it as quickly as you can, but it, it definitely takes longer than you anticipate. Cause you know, life doesn't happen in a straight line. There's bumps along the road, things you run into, whether it's People in the real estate market that, or personally though, or life or whatever, you know, here's a word from our sponsors looking to get into podcasting, maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment, or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets, and be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners. Care for your health, care for the planet, and look flipping great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. Maybe it's mine and your gray hairs, Mitch, but like the younger generations in the world. And I get now you, you and I all of a sudden sound like two old guys going like these damn kids today. Right, exactly. but like, But in today's generation, everybody wants success today. Right. They want it right now. They want the million dollars right now. Because everything else the, is instantaneous. They That's want the why. million dollars, the jet and the Tesla right. today. I get that, you know, and I know you do. And I wanted that too when I was 20 something or whatever. But what I've, I've learned is that success is a marathon. Yeah. And unless you're willing to run the marathon, then, then you, and you might catch lightning in a bottle and get lucky every here and again, but you're not going to be continually successful unless you're willing to stay in and make changes and stay the course and set goals and strive until you hit the goal and all that. But I just feel like, unfortunately, our generation, you know, the generations now just seem to want all of it today yeah. and they're not willing, and they're not willing to accept that they might have to work a little bit to get to it. Right. No, it's no question about, it. I mean, look, you need anything. You can go online and get it like that. It wasn't like that growing up, growing no. up, you had to go to the store, you had to buy it. It might not have been there. It was like real, yeah. like in life. Now everything's available, at least by tomorrow. Yeah. Prime right. and, if, and if I have to wait more than tomorrow, I am pissed. You yeah. know, like my son, I have an eight-year-old that like if we were going to buy a Lego set for him or whatever, I mean, yeah. you know, whatever, if, if he, if we ordered online and it doesn't show up the next day, he doesn't get it. He's like, why? Right. You know, it's supposed what, what to happened. Right. Yeah. Right. It must yeah. have been a problem. I remember like, you know, wait like a week or two to get something back then, you know, or you couldn't find it in the stores and that was like, it. Oh, they don't have it. How's right. that possible? You know, yeah, exactly. Well, right. that's the world in which they live and, and you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you guys got started, it was multifamily mostly when you started. Yeah, it was no, 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 no. We it first wasn't. got started. It was single. It was small, single family and small, multi, just renting right? a house out to a family. Renting right. my single family home out to my two buddies. Yeah, well, that obviously you're living there too, but I'm saying what was the first property that you bought that was just rented out? It was a house a duplex. We bought it. Liz and I bought a duplex and this is so back that's in the day, top Mitch. and bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, just two units, two units on one tax parcel. Got it. Um, and in Chicago, Chicago is the one place in the world. They call it a two flat, you know? Oh, really? Um, yeah. Right. Uh, but 
Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, and some people call it, yeah, but yeah, anyway, it, it's two units under one time, under, under okay. one piece okay, of two land, renters. Right? Yeah. Two tenants. So we bought that okay. it was back in the day where you could lay 95 to hundred percent down in an equity when you buy it in, in, uh, or you let you lay 5% down, excuse me, or no money down, whatever. Yeah. Um, first and second mortgages and stuff like that. So, um, we laid 5% down and bought a duplex that non-owner occupied, um, and that, and that was our first classroom, man. I mean, we immediately had to evict both tenants because they immediately saw a new sheriff in town. Let's just stop really? paying our rent. Yeah, you know. Um, and 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 it, it was uh, it was a mess. Yeah. So but you learned a lot. Yeah, I did. I did. It got my teeth kicked in. Learned a lot. You know. Um, and uh, and and then fast Make forward. Think to twice life. about like, should I keep doing this? Did you ever consider that or no? Never. You know, I. It's funny, Mitch. I I never had that thought never I mean never really truly thought about like maybe this isn't for me I don't know why you know because I hear I some people they're like oh we owned a condo and we rented it out and it was a nightmare so we're never investing in real estate and I go that was your only experience like you gave up and yeah, that's, yeah that's not enough experience you know yeah I mean we got we got battered in this business. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, it was like a salt and battery what happened to Liz and I in this business. Um, but at the end of the day, um, we, t- I don't know why, but we never had that, like, is this, are we really cut out for this? Should we quit? You know, whatever. I don't know why. Maybe just because I, I knew that it was a calling to build right. a business and all that. And, and now, because now the I first knew, duplex was mm-hmm. in Philly. Yeah. So is the laws in Pennsylvania, is it hard to evict people? Um, back then it was not, it has changed. This was 2000, like 13, 14, or no, this, I'm sorry, this 2003, 2004, 2005, um, and that, but, but, uh, it, it has certainly since COVID it's become darn near impossible. Well, right. Um, the courts are basically shut yeah, down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, but it, back then it was, this is like pre-online pre-internet where like to evict, you had to go down to the LNI office or down to the courthouse, follow the paperwork, whatever to file evictions. You know, I remember like posting notice in the tenant's door. You had to file a notice to in Pennsylvania, you file, you have to file a notice to quit. Meaning yeah. like New Jersey. Yeah. 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 Like, like notice to cease notice to quit kind of things. Um, and they have to post it on the door, wait three days, that kind of thing, wait five days. And then you have to prove that you posted notice and then file the eviction that gets you to court hearing and stuff like that. But, um, I believe that tenant moved out when I posted the notice to quit, she actually called me and said, okay, I'll move. And she did, um, which was good. So, um, then uh, Liz and I moved, she had to move to, she needed to move to New Jersey for a job when we got married, uh, the job that she had that we were living on the income on. So we were like, okay, fine. I guess we're moving to New Jersey. Right, exactly. So we uh, moved to New Jersey to, we found a house in Bordentown. Um, okay. It just, it was within our means that, that worked for us at the time, just living on just her salary. So we lived in Bordentown for years. We thought only for a year or two, we would live there, but then the crash of 08 happened and Took us longer to build a business than we thought. Bumped into right. a lot of walls. Didn't stay focused. Yada yada yada. Right. So we, uh, it, you know, made a lot of mistakes um, and the crash. So we ended up right. living in Bordentown uh, for a while, a lot longer than we thought we, than we thought we were going to. But we, but because Bordentown is the next town over from Trenton, right? Uh, Trenton became where we built our business for a long time. I mean, it's like one of those acres of diamonds kind of things, right? Yeah. Like Trenton was right there. So why not get started investing in Trenton? And yeah, so distressed real estate and opportunities there and so forth. Yeah, a lot of landlording. The equations yeah. made sense. You can buy cheap rent for a lot, you know, um, it, it's, it's enticing that market is. So, so we, uh, so that that's where we started to build our brand for, for a long time. We were, uh, we planted our flag there. This is where we're going to make our scene. Trenton, New Jersey, Jersey, Jersey. So, so yeah. now what got you into, uh, commercial buildings and stuff? Um, you mean a uh, multifamily? No, didn't you get at, don't you have commercial buildings now? And you're saying, no, we're going back to more multifamily. Yeah. I bought an office building. Uh, that was an interesting story. We, we, um, we, own, I, I'm, that's where I first met you. Um, we own a 10,000 square foot, uh, office building that we bought. that was vacant at the time that, that we bought to, to like, okay, we're going to buy this because this was back during the Corzine administration when Corzine was governor and he's a Democrat. So he was just, you know, big government and everything like that. Let's just, you know, we're, we're going to, 
take down more office space. And there was a lot of lobbyists coming into town and stuff like that. And so the, the, the other landowners in New Jersey around that area, around downtown, my office building's right in the downtown area, right by the courthouses. Right. Right. Okay. Um, And so we bought it thinking that knowing that the state and the County were, were needed more office space and they were leasing out space at $18 a square foot per year. So that means that if you got a 10,000 square foot building, 180,000 a year is what they would pay us for that building, right? Um, annual on a, on a monthly basis, right? So that'd be like 15 grand a month is what you could make for that building. What are those triple uh, net? We like found the, we, the government pays everything. They pay all the yeah, utilities. Yeah, triple net. And, they pay the whole shoot nice. match, right? Like okay. mean, like they, they pay that rent plus your taxes plus your insurance right. on top. It's like lightning in a bottle. All know? hands off, right? Oh yeah, man. So we saw that and we're like, hey, deal, game on. I'll take that. I'll do that deal. Um, so we found an office building that was in the path of progress. And the, go- the, the government was expanding further down, down Broad Street where we were. And, um, and so we bought the building uh, for $52 a square foot. So we figured, hey, this is a turnkey as his office building. Yeah. You know, state could come in and I get a third of my money back a year in cash flow. Are you kidding right. me? I'll oh, take it. You'll right? go through the roof, right? Yeah, I'm in, man. And you know, I, I'll refinance it. Da, 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 da. Um, and we'd had some successes on small deals, but we decided to stretch and get into that deal, right? So we did. Uh, put it under contract and close. And a, a local school comes in and leases the building from us that was in between schools. Like they, they were tearing, they were abandoning the school they were in and they were right. going to build a larger school for themselves. And they needed a layover place to be while they were building their new facility. So they leased that building from us for one year. Okay. Yeah. Like an intermediary thing. They leased that building from us for one year. It's good rent. Everybody was happy. I'm happy. Nowhere near what we wanted. You know, it was like not-for-profit school rent, right? Right. So not not the government. 15,000 a month, like 4,000 a month. Right. Right. Um, And I got to pay the taxes. So we get by. And during that time, while they were leasing the building, two things happened. The market crashes. 2008 happens. And Governor Corzine, who is running for running for re-election, loses to a guy named Chris Christie. Right. Okay, right. So Christie comes in and he cleans house, man. And it needed it. The house needed to get clean. Let's say, right? Yeah, so, no question about it. But it didn't yeah. help you. Yeah, no. He <laughs> and so two things. Th- those two things stopped all expansion that was happening on all the all those office buildings that were leasing up. That that you know, Corzine was leasing up left and right, and expand expanding the administration, expanding ancillary services. Chris Christie says, "Stop, not doing right. any of that, undoing all that, you know, like canceling those contracts, voiding those leases, get yeah. out of those things." Yeah, that happens, and uh, the the carousel stops for all businesses that are growing and everything like that, and we. Uh, we're left holding the bag in a lot of ways. I got this office building, the school leases for one year, they move out. And so now I got a vacant office building, right? Um, So what we decided, we pivoted and we put it on the market um, as as a, and you couldn't sell because you couldn't sell anything back then. So I couldn't just dump it and take what I could get. You know, Um, we carved it up into a small business center. So we we cut up the offices. We put a key fob system on the front door, oh, and right. we started leasing individual offices to individual businesses. And a lot of these individual businesses were owned by people that had just gotten laid off, that okay. just take just took exits from their last from company A right. to move to company B um, or whatever you know, law firms, whatever that 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 had laid a lot of their staff off. So these lawyers needed a place to hang a shingle. So we yeah. leased and the courthouses were a block away. Oh, so okay. we turned the building into a small business center, uh, bottom line. And it, it was a labor of love. It took a while to get at least up years um, yeah. and to, to crawl out of the hole of, of, uh, of, of the market crash. But we got there. Yeah. You got to get traction over time, but yeah. now you but said you're selling it. Are you, are you in contract to sell it? Or are you just looking to sell it? No, no, I'm under contract to sell it. Under contract? Yeah. To sell, I mean, so the other thing that happened, Mitch, is we kept going on what I knew we were good at, which was residential real estate. And we got really good at that. And we built a team around it and that. And that office building was one of those things that I thought was going to go one way. We ended up right. just to save no, it you, and not you, lose you it. that we, wave. It's time to head to shore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you had, you had to do what you got to do to keep it going, to get rents coming in, right? Right. So we ended up... Um, 
we ended up, you know, leasing it up pretty much doing like small business center kind of look and feel on it. But we were really making a brand for ourselves as a residential landlording company. Um, and we put one in front of the other and built it up over time, built a residential business up over, over time there. And, um, and that was one of those things. And I ended up hiring staff um, and everything like that and, and building up a residential landlording company. And that was really where our core was. That goes all the way to 2011, 12, where investors start showing up. Like, hey, you guys are doing good with, with, with the residential stuff. We want to hear more. We love what you guys are doing. Right. And that's where we started getting into the raising money game of money going into commercial syndicates, right? Yeah, partnerships, syndications, those kinds of things. And that's how I ended up forming um, some of our first syndications and wrote. And that's where I got the technology and the, and the, uh, stories that I wrote in Raising Private Capital in my book. Right. right. Well, everything's an evolution, right? You learn, you mm-hmm. grow your business and do things like that. So are you? I assume you're not renting out like single family homes anymore. Now you're in mm-hmm. larger buildings and more we units, We kept testing right? the waters and growing into larger and larger circles because I knew that we wanted to make a bigger splash. And I mean, honestly, a single family home gets you three, $400 a month, maybe in cash flow when it's right. leased. Um, a multifamily will get you dollars per unit in cash flow. And, and we just saw multifamily as more stable as, right. um, as you know, vacancy is not going to crush you where it will on a single family home. You're either making right. money or you're not, you know? Um, so we got into bigger and bigger multi and more and more investors started showing up. So we knew, realized we could put more and more money to work in, in, um, in small and mid-sized multi. So is, is so, a lot of the stuff in Trenton? It Trenton was. area. We got to 115 units in Trenton at one point. Okay, so, um, but we've we've since uh, gotten out of there. We we how uh, did it go down? We couldn't find any deals at the time in Trenton, and I knew that Philly was close enough to my office in Trenton, and so we found a deal in Philadelphia, an 18 Across unit the border in back to South yeah, it's right there. Found an okay. 18 unit in Philadelphia, so we bought that 18 unit, fixed it up, renovated it. Um, was, it was a good play, like, like a really, it was a good moneymaker and everything like that. And so we, um, the investors liked it and, and, and yeah. some investors that came to us said, yeah, Trenton's okay, but Trenton, had, Trenton has a bad reputation, you yeah, know, it does. Trenton and Camden, I mean, exactly. the reputation is nowhere near what centers. it is. The, 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 the city deserves some of that reputation because right, it can't get it out of its own way right. as a management entity and stuff and stuff like that. But Trenton has a worse reputation than it should because it's, it's kind of no, not known for many good things. Right. Um, so a lot of investors that were not from the area showed up like, yeah, I want to invest with you guys. Okay, great. Here's a you know four unit in Trenton that I can buy and whatever. Yeah, not Trenton. Trenton. And so we yeah. needed to get outside of Trenton to provide something to our investor base that was appealing. So for that, we went to Philly. And that pull got us, got our head out of Trenton a bit and made us realize there's a great big wide world out there of other cities that we could invest in. And so we right. then went to Lancaster and then dropped into North Carolina. Uh, you know, so eventually you we worked out into Kentucky. Far away. Yeah. And how are you yeah. managing those projects in different places? How do you we used to manage business? everything in Trenton ourselves. We had 115 units ourselves that we managed. And we managed the 18 unit in Philly by ourselves. ourselves. Okay. We, we, which, which you can do. It's but right it's there. right here. Yeah. Yeah. That you can do. Right. Um, when I bought a 49 unit in Lancaster with our investors, I um, wanted to uh, manage that ourselves. I wanted to open up a management office in Lancaster. Which is how um, far from where you were? Two hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My wife talked me out of it because she, she saw what was going on. She saw I was putting 80% of my time into a, a property management company was making me 20% of my money. Right. Right. So she's like, this is, she, she saw that if I took my hand off of the property management business, that I would probably do better for myself. And so I was like, all right, honey, I'll try it out. Yeah. So um, we ended up handing over management of that 49 unit building to a third party company they did much better subcontracted to do the management. Yeah. Which contracted them out. And it made me realize, man, this is actually pretty cool. I could actually grow and expand. And so within just a couple of years of us handing that management to them, we're, we three X the size of the company with regards to units under management. Now, do you, uh, do you do a lot of your own construction when you're fixing up the units? Do you GC it yourself or you just go out and you have a group of guys you hire to do your work? I used to, you know, right? Um, and a small real estate company can do that, right? So that's a, the, the difference in in um in, in in business mesh is that like 
you can either be vertically integrated where you can own all that stuff, you know, right. or you can, you know, kind of have uh, oversight uh, uh, of third-party companies that are doing the work for you, right? right. So currently we're set up where, um, where we have an asset manager that oversees the property manager, which was originally me. Now I've got somebody who does that. Um, and so th there's that. And then we have a construction manager that oversees the construction that's happening, but we don't do the work ourselves anymore. When I had the property management company in New Jersey, I had 13 employees that were out. We had a construction and a management company. So uh, I had a partner that almost ran into the ground. So I had to stop that construction side of it. So we had partners are um, problematic. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I a few stories, didn't work so, out. Yeah, uh, not, not a lot of good stories there. So yeah, uh, man. the reason I ask you the question is because for people listening who are looking to get into real estate, looking to get into more passive investments, you don't have to you know, build up. You could do it more virtual, more where you're subcontracting things out and still make money mm -hmm. and not have 150 employees and, you know, construction. You got to have your finger on the pole stuff and stuff. What? The whole, like the yeah, one you thing have Robert to set up a Kiyosaki system where people can't about. steal from you. Right. The one thing Robert Kiyosaki talks about is, I mean, there's not a point you're going to get to anytime soon, unless you completely make it to the I quadrant that he talks about. Like you're not going to make it to the I quadrant anytime soon. Let's put it that way, unless you've got a ton of money to invest. Yeah, it's not, so it's not whole, hands off total, right? Yeah, the whole concept of buying rental properties and just sipping my ties on the beach, like uh, th that portfolio will eventually w get away from you. You know, right. like you've got to have your finger on the pulse of the property manager and do site walks. They're never going to look at it the way that you do. Right. So I, I believe that it, it's important to you know, it just ha have some checks and balances with the PM and that how that, you know, that's done by asset management. So if they want to do some passive real estate investing, they can do it like through your one of mm -hmm. your projects. That's right? quadrant though. Yeah. yeah then you're investing. Right. Exactly. Then somebody that has ownership alongside you is doing the direct operations and putting in the sweat equity. That's what we do. Like that as a syndicator, the syndicator is putting in mostly sweat, mostly times, a lot of risk factors, a lot of personal guarantees, a lot of being the first risk domino to fall, meaning like if there's a slip and fall at one of my properties, they're not going to sue the LP. The LP is a mile and a half behind me. You know, uh, they, they're going to come after whoever's managing the property. Come after us, right? Yeah. So, I'm just having with your camera. Touch your camera. It's got blurry. You see, oh, there you go. That was weird. Yeah, it came back. Yeah, don't buy a Logitech Brio. <laughs> Mine's inexpensive too. Now, where where does the name DeRosa come from? It's my wife's mother's maiden name. Your wife's mother's maiden. Your wife's mother's maiden name. So. It's her mama. My my Got wife's it. mama, Francis Francis Randazzi. That, that's that's her maiden name. France. She was Francis DeRosa. And I guess you're a Marvel fan, right? Because I see absolutely Iron Man. I see. Is that Hulk? Spider Man yeah, and Superman. So got, yeah, but Superman's DC. I, though, I did not know? make this. Okay. I didn't make this. And so we will forgive who made this because yeah. I know you're, I can tell you're a comic book guy too, because yeah. what do you got? You got one. That's Captain America there. Yeah, Superman. Superman does not belong. Does not match. Should right. Not that be Sesame there. street thing where one of those things does not belong with one the other. These things. Is right. Exactly. Other. My favorite is, uh, is Captain America. I'm a yeah. Captain America fan. I love all Marvel, Marvel, Marvel and star Wars could, could not do anything wrong by me. I will watch anything they produce and it'll be amazing. According to me. Um, but I'm a huge Marvel fan and, um, and I'm, I'm mainly Captain America. Like I just look yeah. up to him. I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I understand. Well, I try and like, I, I, I actually have a book about like, be, you know, the, 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 um, like the, like the logic of Captain America or like leadership lessons from Captain America. Great book. Um, and I just, I try and embody a bit of what he talks about, what, what he shows to be in the movies and stuff like that. So anyway, um, my daughter so is very much into Marvel with me. We go to all the movies. My son is, but he's 21 and in college now. Oh, he's too cool for it. I don't know if he's coming. No, no, no. He's into it all with his girlfriend, but he just doesn't do much with me. Yeah, you know, yeah But yeah, we yeah. watch all the series. You've seen all the series on uh, on Disney all Plus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are yeah, I watched Hawkeye. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're all yeah. great. Again, yeah, they, they can do no wrong great. by me, you know? Yeah. Um, because I just love the whole superhero concept. And I think yeah, a lot the of whole cinematic universe, I was all tied in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All of it. And it just... Just a well done superhero story sucks me in because it really talks about like not to get too philosophical on you, but this guy's back to my love for Captain America for all of it, <laughs> because it really taps into in, in like it is a story of human potential, you know, well, that's um, the whole concept of what Stan Lee did, right? 
Yeah. He, he's creating characters that do things we all wish we could do. Right. You know, like I wish that when I got really pissed, I would turn green and, and grow like twice my size and be like, Rawr! you know, like with <laughs> you what don't we do feel that? like that doing. Sometimes you. when you're really mad, the, the Hulk is the emblem of who you are and you're really mad. Like we, all, right. we all feel like that inside. You know, yeah, like, exactly. They got yeah, She Hulk right. coming out, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's going to be great too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the uh, like every, if you look at every superhero, they're just an extension or an emblem of, you know, how cool would it be if kind of thing, you know, yeah. if there was some dude from another planet, another dimension that shows up, he's got a cool hammer and, you know, Thor and stuff like that. Right. Um, you, you could extrapolate that to all of them. And that's so that, there's lessons to be learned. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned from them too. So. Um, so if somebody's looking to get started advice time, right? Pointers, things you wish you did differently, that type of stuff. What would you say to somebody? Maybe they're in their twenties and they're starting to get some money together and they're thinking, Oh, I want to get into real estate. Hmm. What would your advice be to them? Don't fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Throw it in Bitcoin, go man. Yeah, Run. Right. yeah. Just go all in on Bitcoin. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Right. right. You can completely control that. And that's completely predictable on what it's going to do tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Um, So, um, but anyway, uh, no, my advice to somebody who wants to get involved in real estate is a few things. And I will talk to my former self, the 25 year old Matt Faircloth. Right. Um, So I would uh, tell them to get involved, to, you know, get in, but get in, like, pick a lane and stay in it. This is not what I did. I like when I first got started, I was tried a lot. As I said, the story of the office building, right? If I had mentioned just focused on residential housing as my lane and say, okay, I'm going to pick a industry, a division of real estate and stick with it for the next five years and just try to expand and become the best in that division that I can, I would have never bought an office building when I owned a bunch of single family homes, right? Right. I just stuck with residential real estate. Didn't fit your model, so to speak. No, it was an outlier, and I paid and I and I paid dearly for buying that outlier. You know, Um, it could have been could have been great, and it was great in a lot of ways. And helped me build my brand, and I did a lot of meetups there, and I'm grateful for having it. And I think that in a lot of ways, this is the bottom line, Mitch. I'll get back to your question in a second. But the funny thing is, because I'm 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 the uh, always the optimist. Yeah. I believe a lot of things in life, if you give them enough time, they work their way out, right? right. And everything, if, if you extrapolate life from a more a, enough macroscopic view, yeah, you can see life works out to perfection. Even with COVID and with all the bad right. things, the bad things that are happening right. now or social unrest or whatever it is, They're if you look at it from road. a macroscopic view all the way out here, you can see that things worked out for the best. On, on a in, in macroscopic view. And in my life, it did. In owning that office building, it's working its way out. That building served me in a lot of different ways um, in that. But if I had stayed focused, I would have grown a lot faster. So I would say pick a industry and stay focused um, of real estate and learn, learn how to build a team as fast as you can and put your own money to work as well. Maybe learn how to raise some capital too. There is a book I'd recommend called Raising Private Capital. You can there you go. Right over check your out. left shoulder. Yep. Now, and and I guess your wife's in the business too, right? Because before we started, you're like, well, I'm in my, I'm in the office. I got to change the logo. So you took your wife <laughs> yeah. and I saw she had some different logos and things that's going on. My but you guys do this all together other- though. We do. So she's like, we're kind of on the board of each other's companies, right? But we both have our own ventures. My wife and I are both alphas. And so we kind of need our own fiefdoms, right? Uh, we tried that working together arm in arm and we love each other and we do a lot of things together. Um, but we both need to kind of be the so Does that mean group. you guys buy your your own separate properties no. or no? no. I run the active division of our company. The comp- I, I run the part of our company that actually goes out and buys the sticks and bricks. Okay. She runs her own company that is a education and awareness and community-based Got company it. called the Real Estate Invest Her. Um, oh, okay. So she, my wife has always been an advocate for women's rights and for women's education and for advancing uh, women in our society, right? Um, cause women have not gotten the fair shake. I don't care who you tell me or whatever, not, not just fair close. wages or whatever, but women yeah. get this shit into the stick in oh, so yeah. many different ways in our society. And she is down to turn that around. Right. Yeah. So, um, she wants so to build educating women. women who want to invest mm-hmm. in the real estate business. Yeah. 
educating women about real estate investing is a good place to start uh, for okay. them to go. And if for women that want to get into real estate, she is there to um, provide a, a resources and provide knowledge and masterminds and communities for them to learn how to advance themselves in the real estate space and her companies. And she's a, also is a publishing arm. She's published a book, um, but her company is called the Real Estate Invest Her. Um, okay. And she has a po- her main uh, vehicle is a podcast. Uh, and that podcast is published by Bigger Pockets. Uh, yeah, because your bio said you're a regular guest on Bigger Pockets. Well, that so am I. I'm. We have a different. We both. That's kind of a joint relationship. Her and I have. They published my book, and they publish okay. her podcast. So there's a lot of overlap. I mean, we're raising for a large deal right now to buy 670 apartment units. Uh, she, her company, the, the Invest Her, is is uh, is supporting us in in bringing out about investor awareness for that. Now, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn about deals that you have? Read your book, I guess. Raising private capital is on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. How do they? Well, you can get it on Bigger Pockets. It's you're okay. better off buying it on Bigger Pockets because they give so you a biggerpockets.com. Of... Yeah, well, okay. <clears throat> they, they can do all these things. We'll put it in the show um, notes. They can hear about deals that I go to, the okay. deals we're involved in. They can pick up a copy of my book. They all can... at biggerpockets.com. No, no. Uh, my Instagram. The Matt okay. Faircloth, the Matt Faircloth, uh, on Instagram and in my Instagram bio, uh, there is a link and in there, there's all kinds of coolness we have going on. There's, um, there's uh, great stuff about me. There's, uh, you know, there, there's, you can pick up a copy of my book from bigger pockets. You can, okay. uh, check out investment deals. We have, if you're pat, if you're a looking for passive and mostly for accredited investor kind of stuff, yeah. uh, you can look there too. Okay. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough. I know it took a little while while for us to get in touch with each other, but uh, this is awesome and I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the conversation. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at beinhackerlaw.com. The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.